Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to continue looking at this fascinating character from the Old Testament, but one who speaks so directly to where we are today. This person, Ruth, and I'll be looking at Ruth in chapter 2, at least, yeah, most of the chapter, not all of it, Um, and we'll look at it as we go through. I want you to come inside the, the head and the heart of Ruth. It's the only way to understand these stories. Uh, where were they coming from in their heart? What did they see? What did they understand? What did they want? Ruth, and we talked about it last week briefly, Ruth was born and raised in Moab, which doesn't exist anymore, but it, it takes in a piece of Saudi Arabia and the Jordan and, and and there on the other side of the Dead Sea, Jordan and Saudi Arabia, that was Moab. And it was a nasty place to be born and raised in. In fact, um, she was born, but probably uh, escaped with her life from being offered to Chemosh, the god, demon god, that the Moabites worshipped. They offered their newborn children into the flames of Chemosh. It was the god of abortion. It was the, the god of murder and said, give me your children, give me your children. And, and that was the culture that the, the whole of Chemosh worship or was to pick out, what can I say, penetrating every part of their society as such things do. And uh, she uh, comes upon these immigrants They come into the land of Moab, this family, Naomi and Elimelech and the two sons. And and she is meeting now face to face with these people from Israel. And, And let me say this, that the persons who lived all around Israel, and that would take in Moab as well as all the other people in the neighborhood, they stood in awe, a sort of frightened wonder at the people of Israel because they had heard what had happened in their history. It seems sometimes that the peoples around Israel uh, stood in wonder of God's miracles more than Israel did. Uh, So these people had heard how the Lord delivered them from Egypt, even though it was quite a number of years before. But, um, you know, there was the the book of Joshua, and then there was the 40 years wandering in the desert before that. But word carried, when the greatest nation on earth is humbled to its knees, and, and done so by the work of the one these people called Yahweh, the God whose name meant I am, and the ten plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the carrying through the wilderness, the wonders at Sinai, all of that was taken by rumor, by caravan drivers uh, from place to place, and until all the people for miles, in fact, all the way down into the Africas, They'd heard of this wondrous people and their wondrous God, and certainly Moab, because they lived on their doorstep. And so, can can you feel this? Is this young girl, and she now has 
uh, fallen in love with a Hebrew, one of these Israelite chaps. And, and so she's face to face. It's, it's going to be her family, a mother-in-law, father-in-law uh, of these people that had a God who performed such miracles, a God who didn't demand their children to murder them, but a God who loved them and a God who upheld them and protected and provided, who had entered into covenant. Can you imagine what that meant to a pagan girl as she sat with bug eyes, with mouth open, listening to the conversation of these people? who could uh, could speak not only of those ancient stories, well, they weren't so ancient, but those stories of a couple of hundred years before, and, and, and now in this present moment, they spoke of a present God, a God who now was working in their lives, who now loved them. She heard it firsthand that this God had sworn in covenant oath that he would bless them, he would protect them in spirit and mind and emotion and in body and everything they touched, he would be with them and in them and through them. In fact, the way these people said hello was, the Lord be with you. And the appropriate response, one of them would be, and the Lord bless you. That rolls off our tongue so easily as it did off the tongues of these Israelites. But to a pagan hearing this, a God who loved you? A God who didn't demand blood before he would even look at you? And if you didn't give him the murder of your infants, then he would be mad at Oh, come on. This was something entirely mind-blowing to a girl like Ruth. And, and again, this God they called Yahweh, the I Am, he was God of all the earth. You see, the peoples of that day, the, the gods they worshipped, they looked at them as sort of, what can I say, local, um, territorial, so that if, if you were not a Moabite, then really you'd have to work at getting Chemosh to notice you. Um, gods belong to certain people, but this God that these Israelites worshipped, they, they said he's the God of the whole earth. He, he's not only in Israel. That's, that's where his purpose is of focus, but he... he he can be worshipped and loved by all persons. And another name they had for him, especially in these early days of the um, Israelite story, another name for God was El Shaddai. And El Shaddai meant the God um, almost like a mother who would nurture and nourish and provide. El Shaddai would mean the all-sufficient one whose presence, invisible but always with, always with, always loving, always guiding. It's no wonder that young Ruth felt this drawing toward the God of Israel against his beauty Chemosh began to look very ugly and she watched she not only listened but she watched a family who trusted in him in the middle of a strange land she watched as they played out not only the stories of the covenant, but the promises of the covenant. Yeah. And of course, as we looked last week, the, the tragedy that hit that family, the, the Elimelech, the father, died, and then after that, the, the two sons died. 
and and so she becomes a widow. She's married one of the sons, and now she's a widow, and her father-in-law is gone, and so Naomi is widow. Death, and, and the ensuing poverty, because without the men of the family, there's no one to bring in food or money. This is a man's world, and widows had no place in it. They They just survived by a string, and, and and so they're drawn closer, Naomi and Ruth especially. They're drawn... Naomi, she was Ruth's link to this I am God, the Yahweh. Naomi was a living... Here was a woman who trusted this beautiful God of love. And so when Naomi says that she is going back to the land of her birth, she's going back to land of Canaan that was becoming known as the land of Israel, and she's going back to Judah, the, the tribe that she belonged to, and specifically to Bethlehem, where she had been born and raised. And she said that there, in Bethlehem, this incredible God of love had given to her and her family a piece of land. And though she left ten years before, it would be waiting for her because no one could touch it. It was given to her by God. And so the two daughter-in-laws go to the border to say and bid farewell to Naomi on her journey. Three widows walking on the road to the Canaanite border, and their only possessions they carry in their hands or on their back, poverty. Life as they knew it with the men is over, left in three graves in Moab. And something has happened to Naomi. Naomi's become hard and bitter, and we talked about that last week. And now they come to the border, and both of the girls said, we're coming with you, Naomi. We're not going to leave you a helpless widow. But she says, no, I've got nothing to give you. There's no more sons. You're young. Go back. Find another husband. Go away. She pushes them away. And finally, the other sister-in-law leaves. There's a lot of howling and crying, but the, the woman leaves. And it leaves then Naomi and Ruth standing together at the border. And Naomi's dark depression that's now stealing on her and heartening her and her insistence that Ruth leaves. But, but Ruth insists. In fact, she makes a covenant statement. It's... It's one of those um, statements that you'll find in people's houses to this day. Verse 16 of chapter 1. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And in that statement, Ruth abandons Chemosh. She abandons the people of Moab and says, I am worshipping Yahweh and I am come to be part of his people. And so they cross the border. Naomi becoming increasingly bitter at what had happened in Moab and Ruth becoming increasingly excited that now this God... Yahweh, the I Am, is her God. And his promise is made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all the blessings that came through the law, the covenant, she had stepped right into it. It was, what would I say, around late March or early April that the two ladies came over the border. Right down there at the bottom of the Dead Sea, it, it, it's a terrible place. I've been there. Terrible place. Um, I, I mean, it's worse than wilderness because it's not sand. It's salt and, and, and minerals and the air is, is thick with salt. And 
it's a like a blasted place but they came over and walking through that terrible wilderness and and they come finally to Judah and Bethlehem she Ruth in her whole attitude that that, that presses through this book she, she sees it that she has come into the river of God's covenant love. She, she's been caught on the current of God love purposes and intention. Oh, if we're going to look at her faith, I mean, although she's been listening for a long time, over a period of 10 years, she's been watching these people. But as far as her committed faith, her determination to let the love of God draw her into himself that happened there at the border, it, she is as a new convert as she could ever be. Her trust is a baby trust, a baby trust, beautiful in its simplicity. And that trust is linking her to participate in the covenant love of God. But, I mean, she's not quite the same color as everybody else. She's burned by by the sun down there in the salty air. It's by the Dead Sea and Moab. And, of course, her language, it's, I mean, the same sort of, what, family of languages, but, but it's different. And, and so, whatever Hebrew she spoke, she spoke with an accent. And, and so, she stands out like a sore thumb. And as Naomi comes back and all the women in the marketplace greet her and everything that happened that we talked of last week. But Ruth is there. You know how it is. You know you don't belong here. And there's stairs. Who the heck is she? And, and they, they, they tried to converse and immediately recognize here is a foreigner. That's the word used in in the book um she she's a stranger here she doesn't belong you ever been to those little tiny villages even here in the states and if you weren't born there you'll be a stranger till you die people are curious they're suspicious it stares it's looking at her it's it's silently saying what are you doing here you don't belong here and I say yet again, on top of all that, it's two widows in a man's world where women didn't go out to work, where, where there's nothing to do. You depended upon the man to work and bring in the food. Life, as both of them has known it, has ended with three graves in Moab. And now, in this place of total strangeness, Ruth has got to scrape out an existence because Naomi has basically given up. Uh, she's in deep depression. She's demanding everybody calls her by the name Bitter because she says, God doesn't like me. God doesn't love me. He's dealt bitterly with me. In the middle of that, Ruth is discovering the love of God and his blessing. Please understand, she made the choice. Those two women that come across the border, they've both been through the same thing. They have both been plunged into the same kind of grief. And at the border, Ruth makes a choice. Re read that verse that I read. It's a potent verse. And she chooses. She chooses life. She chooses love. Love of God. And what's the big deal about a choice? The, the grace of God does not mean that God imposes on you what you don't want. No, grace means that he indeed has come into your little world and he presents himself to you. He gifts himself. 
But at the heart of that gift is that he demands, delights in, intends relationship. Please understand it. On that one word, so much hangs. The purpose of God's love is to bring us into relationship, not to impose himself upon us. And we, we are made for that. It's, it's how God created us. He gives the gift. And we believe his person to accept, to partake, to participate in that gift he gives. And so Ruth chose, in the simplest faith of a person that knew very little, but she took everything she knew and believed this God. Whereas Naomi is believing her circumstances more than the God who presented himself to her. She is going to know that the Lord, the I Am, Yahweh will be a husband to her and he will provide through beautiful love laws that he's laid down. She is going to discover in this simple trust that the Lord will guide her footsteps, guide her footsteps in, in the most ordinary ordinary fashion to the point where many people who would hear the story would say what a coincidence but no as you stand back far enough you see this was no coincidence it was not just chance it wasn't fate the lord was i mean putting one step in front of another and and, and without her realizing it, saying, not that way, this way. <sighs> and she discovers God's love in the midst of a strange people, discovers God's love as she goes, as we shall say in a minute, into the fields to work. She discovers him in the middle of it all. She discovers how God connects Places are in the right place at the right time to meet the right person. And you could never have put this symphony together. It was only that God is love. And his love extends all the way to the physical, the material. To such little stories as this. And he guides, and he connects, and he blesses, and he favors. Blessed. That, that's one of the big words behind this story. Blessed. The word means to be empowered. It, it, it means that there's something about you that everybody recognizes. Some recognize it as the presence of God, but many do not. They just see a certain magnetism and and they find themselves falling in step with God's purposes for you whether they knew it or not it, it means that God himself is your personal partner in life blessed it's the major word of the covenant and the word that goes with it is favor you're favored and what's favor except an intentional bias towards you if you're a favored person, you know, whoever it is that favors you goes out of their way to do little things for you that they don't do for others. And blessing means you're favored in every part of your life. Now, while we go into this story, um, just let me say this, and I'll say it very quickly. But the way human beings face the ordinary of life, that gives the whole game away, you see. Um, because this is basically the first chapters are about this gal who goes out and all she wants is enough 
Well, what, I, I say, you want enough money for groceries. I mean, that was about it. And she's satisfied to shop in 7-Eleven. You know, a corner store will do. Just enough for me and Naomi, my mother-in-law, to live. That's all she was looking for. But what a, what, when, when we go out to live today, see, whether that be to work, to our place of education, whether it be in an office, a factory, or whether it be to the grocery store, the way we face it, and human beings left to themselves look at it if they i mean this isn't something one sits down and thinks about but it's in their own strength it's their own wisdom and they're going to do it by their own know-how and they go out and that's the root of true anxiety when you recognize that my strength is not enough and my wisdom can't put its arms around this and 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 so that's how a great number of people live and then of course some who live like that also bring in um well i i was going to say a demon god i i don't want to accuse them of that although that's actually what they're doing without realizing it they talk about luck bad luck good luck i feel lucky um you see luck it, it, it features much around the days of the Bible, only it was called by those surrounding persons, especially the Romans, actually, as far on as that. And they called luck Fortuna, Fortuna, which, of course, we get the word fortune, Fortuna. And Fortuna, literally translated into English, is Lady Luck. Isn't that something? Huh. The goddess that was worshipped by these people as Fortuna, the one who made them lucky, the one who gave them fortune, is still, and I'll, I'll hesitate to say worshipped, but recognized and catowed to by, I don't know how many, luck, lady luck. And, and so we... we in, in our world, in, in our very modern world, and yet people still say, I got lucky, or I got a string of bad luck, which means, in plain English, I am a victim. I'm a victim of circumstances. I'm a victim of chance. I'm a victim of fate. I'm a victim of Lady Luck, whether she chooses to... <laughs> well, I... <laughs> Luck is demonic blessing. It's, or you go out into that same daily little tiny world. I mean, Ruth's world was hardly five miles by five miles. It was a tiny world made up of peasant women and employers. And she went out into that world trusting in the simple words of the covenant lord trusting in the fact he loved her and loved naomi even though she sat in the pit of depression loved them with an everlasting love that's how ruth got up in the morning and looked out the window at life Whereas sad Naomi is still calling herself Mara, bitter. And over the breakfast, probably of nothing more than ground up corn and water. And, and she said, another day for things to go wrong. That's the way it is. It's going to be a dark and bad day. You've got to convince me otherwise. And people are not what they used to be. They're not kind. They're not generous. They're not good. We're alone here trying to make it. And she's sullen. And she complains. And she refuses to be comforted. You've got two attitudes. Attitudes. Attitude. 
You know what I mean by attitude? It's how you look at things and how you expect things and how you talk about it and what you anticipate. Attitude. And you could say that Ruth's attitude was her faith in the covenant God. Her simple trust in what he had said and revealed himself to be. It was the way she expected in simplicity for him to come through. And of course, expect is a proper translation of the Bible word hope. It's not that word that people use, well, all we can do is hope. No, it's not that. that that's a, no. No, hope in the Bible means a dynamic expectancy on tiptoe looking that God will be the God he says he is. So her attitude, you know, God is faithful to his covenant. So, so, think about this. Attitude then will be, what does his goodness have in store for me today? What goodness will bless me today so that I can care for poor Naomi? Today, in its every hour, I am going to meet covenant love, sworn love. I'm going to meet the kindness of God. I'm going to meet his goodness and gentleness. That's attitude. You, you see what I'm saying? That's how you walk out into life. You're, you're anticipating God's activity. Today unfolds the possibility of God's blessing. You know, you could say that Ruth would have been living by the covenant. I've kept saying that, but the, these people were very close in history to the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the book that outlines it all. And in chapter 28, the, in, in a while you'll see that Boaz, the, the, the man who enters this story, he greeted his workers with, The Lord be with you. And the response of the people was, And the Lord bless you. That's where these people lived. They were anchored in that. So Ruth would have been introduced to this. Let me read it to you. Um, it, it says, All the blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And actually, it would be better to read that as seeing that you obeyed the Lord your God. Um, and, and so the blessings are seen as pursuing. In fact, it's almost like hunting dogs. They're pursuing you, and they're going to overtake you. It isn't, you're not searching for the blessings. The blessings are searching for you, and they overtake you. Then he goes in verse 3, says, Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Wherever you live, the blessing of God is like a, a, a bubble of presence around you. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, came into the health of the family the produce of your ground, what grew in your garden, and your beasts, the increase of your herd, the young of the flock. But then, bless shall be your basket. So he says, well, when you go out to buy food, you, you'll find the food that you need, and, and the Lord himself will be with you as you do so, and you'll come back rejoicing that, that the, the food in your basket reflects the provision and, and the favor of God. But then it says, and your kneading bowl. Remember those things? Well, it goes back a few years, but even over here, you had the big bowl where that's how you cooked. And, and from the raw material, you put it in the, and you kneaded the bread. And you, yeah, you, you made stuff. He said, so you're blessed in the kitchen. You're blessed in the grocery store. 
Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. And then verse 8, the Lord will command the blessing upon you. All that you put your hand to. Well, I thought I would read that because that was very much to the forefront of this little lady as she goes out today. I'm going to see how that works out, you see. Do you get the excitement of that? I'm going out today, and I know that here and there and everywhere, maybe after it's happened, but I'm going to see the favor of God. I'm going to see the blessing of God in my footsteps. I'm going out to find food, and I'm going to come back with it because the favor of God. I'm going to meet this God of love at every twist and turn, every hour of the day. Can I put this, and please don't misunderstand it. Well, when I talk of these miracles, for that's the only word for them, it's not the parting of the Red Sea, but it's the miracle of the tick-tock of every hour. And when I speak of these, there's, a, there's, there's that within us that says, wonderful, amazing, astonishing. Yes, it is. But you see, simple trust, and this is what I want you to understand without getting upset, Simple trust takes that for granted. See, when a person wows over the presence of God in their life, yeah, there's a place for that. Worship of God is wowing this amazing God. But there are times when the wow betrays, I didn't expect that. And what I'm saying is, this little lady goes out under the most terrible circumstances, and and she takes it for granted that the blessing of God is ahead of her, and with her, and behind her. You see, if I obey the promises of God... To obey the promises of God means simple trust. You, you obey God by believing what he said, with no, no big deal, obeying him. And let me say this, when I look at the life of this gal, um, you know, when I say she got up in the morning, that was not out of satin sheets and a, a, a fine bed, she slept on a mat on the floor with a very thin blanket, if she had one at all. They had no silverware. They had no fancy china. They had a bowl, and that bowl was the sole recipient of everything they would eat. And and in the clothes that she wore yesterday, she goes out, and if there's any water in the house, it's because she goes down to the well and has to lug it back on. She is living living under extreme, extreme circumstances. When I say a person is blessed, I do not mean... I do not mean that they have sort of the the Solomon life. I don't mean that they're rolling in riches and servants are bringing them grapes and dates. I, no, blessing is not to be defined by the nature of your circumstances. Blessing does not mean perfect circumstances in life. It means that in wherever you find yourself, in the midst of it, you recognize that the Lord is with me and everything I touch within this little world, his presence is there, his wisdom is there, his power is there, and he is bringing about his purpose of love and goodness and kindness right in the middle of this. The blessing of God takes us into a place of prosperity, but it begins with true prosperity. 
This gal has peace. This gal has joy. This girl looks and knows she is the beloved of a God who has sworn his love to her in covenant. That's riches. She knows that she is being guided unbeknownst to her by a current of love and wisdom and purpose and meaning. And so she does not concentrate on the circumstance. She concentrates on just resting in a God who's working it out. She discovers God in the midst of whatever situation she finds herself in. Naomi must have told her about the customs of the day. They didn't have welfare as here in America or Canada has it. They didn't have food stamps as many of our Western countries have something like that. It's the neatest custom they had. If you were a farmer, and of course that was 99% of the persons in Israel, if they were involved in anything, it was farming and harvest. And as you harvest it, and this is all in the scripture, we just don't have time to keep turning, but it's there. As you harvested your field, you were not allowed, this was the love law of God, you were not allowed to cut the corners. That was left for the likes of Ruth and Naomi. They're so poor, they have nothing. So when you harvest your field, you do not cut the corners. That's left for them to come and take freely. And as you are harvesting, Oh, this is so neat. As you are harvesting, you know in those days they had the big swath of the scythe and the machete to cut. And as you do so, and you get the sheaf in your arms and cut it, if you drop anything on the ground, you're not allowed to pick it up. That's for the poor to come and pick. And so a greedy rancher would make sure his servants had a good grip. Because otherwise they'd be dropping stuff all over the place and they were not allowed to pick it up. God says, that's for my poor. And so it was a welfare system of a kind, but it meant that the poor went out to work. They had to go to the fields and pick it up. And so at harvest time, you would see all the servants uh, of the owner of the farm and they're all out there with their machetes and with their sides and they're cutting and they're wrapping the sheaves. And, and behind them are all the women the poor, and they are on their hands and knees and they're picking up everything that has been dropped and they go into the edges of the field. And Naomi told Ruth about this because, as I said, they came across the border in late March and April. Well, the barley harvest is in May. And so, sometime in April, Naomi tells her that we, we, we are the kind of people that are mentioned in the law of God, and therefore the likes of us follow the harvesters and pick up what they drop. She didn't send Ruth. I really don't know the mood of Naomi when she told it. But she certainly told the custom because Ruth, by the time chapter 2 opens, is aware of it. And when it comes to May and the whole village is abuzz with its barley harvest, it begins tomorrow, you see. And Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going, she said. Please let me go. You can say, I'm going to find work. 
the work of the poor. I'm going to go and pick up what's left over. I like that. I say it again, she wasn't sent. It's the initiative. She sees, if God put that in his word, that was his law of love, then he's going to provide for us in that fashion. And so, on that morning in May, this gal rolls from her mat and gets up as the sun rises over the mountains of Moab and she goes out into the cold dawn expecting to see the love and goodness of God there in the field. But, uh, you know, it, if you've never done that before, it would be sort of awkward, you know? I mean, how do you sign up for this? And of course, in that early dawn, you would see not only all of the servants uh, of the farmer, those employees, but also all of these, the poor, who had nothing, the widows, the orphans, and they're, they're all going in the early dawn toward the fields which surround Bethlehem. So, 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 where, where, where does she go? Have you ever been in a case like that? Where, where you're sort of in the crowd and everybody seems to know where they're going and you're not sure and you don't know what you would do even if you get where you don't know where you're going. And of course, again, she stands out. And, you know, when it's a case like this, the poor, they're used to this. Every time there's any kind of harvest, they're right there. But, there's a, there's only so much that's dropped on the ground. And some of the farmers are very particular that their servants hold on to all they can. And and so these women of Bethlehem, they knew the best fields and, and they were jealous of their spot. And, and they, they, they know even down to the particular employees that are loose-handed. And you know how it is. And they look at this intruder, this foreigner. What's she doing here? Coming to get our grain for the poor? But Ruth just goes. She doesn't know the field. She doesn't know who owns them. She doesn't know any of the tricks of the trade. She's just sort of going with, with the women that were in front of her. And the scripture says that she happened. <laughs> she happened. I mean, that is, she had no strategy. She had no plan. She didn't know where. She just started in a field, and as she went doing what the others were doing, and she happens, she, she's crossed a boundary, and she finds herself in this other field. You know what we would say? Coincidence. That sort of stuff that happens to poor little kids like her. It was sort of an accident, really. She didn't plan on it. You could say it was by chance. I don't care what you call it. She finds herself in the fields of Boaz. We'll talk about him more next week. But Boaz, I'll just tell you this, that he was a relative of Naomi. He was, some say, Elimelech's brother. Oh, we know he was filthy rich, owned most of the fields around Bethlehem. I'll leave that for next week. But he came into the field, and you could hear his uh, bellowing voice across the fields. The Lord be with you! He greets everybody that's working for him in the fields. He was a godly man. Lord be with you. And they all say back because they respect him as a godly man. And they say, and the Lord bless you. This was the culture. This was the atmosphere. This was the very air that these people breathed. And Ruth is in the middle of it. And he's looking over the field, talking to the foreman. And, and as he looks, he sees Ruth. He said, who's that? Who's that? Don't recognize her. Foreman says, well, um... 
she she's the gal that came in with Naomi and, and she's sort of looking after Naomi. Oh, says Boris, I, I've heard of her. I've heard of her. Oh, the, the town's talking about her. So that that's favor. That there's something about this woman that's more than being a Moabite. Everybody's looking at her and saying, yeah, she cares for Naomi. There's something very gracious about her. There's something very loving about her. And so Boaz goes over to her and he blesses her. He says, you have come to trust under the wings of the Lord. He says, I've heard, I've heard. Make, make sure you stay in this field. Don't, don't go wandering off. Stay here. We'll look after you. And when it came to lunchtime, the, the servants, the employees, along with Boaz, they sort of have a picnic. That they have lunch. And, and, and Boaz says to her, you come, you come and sit with us. You come and sit with us. I mean, all the poor, well, they go and do what they do, but the, it's time for lunch for the employees. And he says, you come and sit here. And, and it says they have popcorn. Yes, it does, sort of. But it was popcorn. And they, they ate it for lunch, and Boaz kept making sure she had enough, she had enough, until she said, I can't eat another thing. But she still had some over, and so that was put into her pouch for Naomi. And then he says, as you work, you, you can go to the employee's water fountain, because I'm sure you get thirsty out here under the sun. And then he turned to his employees and, and he said, you know that girl? Those of you that are in front of her, drop a lot on purpose. Drop a lot. Get very loose-handed. And, and, and that good stuff that we always make sure is bound properly, well, you drop, you drop that too. Give her the good stuff. Let her be able to pick it up. I, I, say, <laughs> I say it again. Red Sea, mighty miracle. Manna in the wilderness, mighty miracle. But when you see the coincidences, and when you see how connecting with the right people, when you see that people look, and they don't know why they're looking, but they're making a way for you, and you don't even know about it, you don't even know what they're talking about. You are looking at the little miracles that are astonishing and amazing. And let me say that the New Testament, when Jesus came and died and rose and ascended, so many believers have said that this is no longer applicable. You see, now you're on your own. I don't get it, but that's what they say, that, that God doesn't deal with the physical. That's why they say we don't believe God heals today. That was for then. And we don't believe that God is in our finances, and we don't believe that God's in our pantry, and we don't believe that God's in our kitchen. God doesn't come with us to the grocery store. God doesn't come to buy clothes. No, all that is then, a primitive sort of idea of God. We in our New Testament, it's all spiritual. And so all we think about is forgiveness of sins and not going to hell. We don't bother with these lesser things. If that's what you're hearing, please walk away from it. Walk away. Shut your ears. For the God of love reveals himself where we live. And what I've just said is where we live. The New Testament knows nothing of a difference between spiritual, material, physical. It is one. What did Jesus do when he says, Who have seen me has seen the Father? Then what do I see when I look at Jesus? He was healing the sick. He looked after a wedding for a couple of anonymous peasant kids that we've never known who they were. And all the only reason he did it was to save them from embarrassment. He fed 5,000 men with their women and children. A picnic on the mountains supplied. <sighs> he gave Peter a fish catch that was beyond anything he'd ever caught. It revolutionized his fishing business. I could keep going. As well as every turn of the Gospels, he's healing the sick. Don't tell me God doesn't care. Don't tell me you're on your own. Don't tell me you look at luck. 
You are a covenant person at the very heart of God's love. And he is with you and he blesses you at the very heart of your life. In fact, even more so. You know, the book of Hebrews, it's got um, one key idea and that is that this, that we're in right now, we are joined to Jesus, joined to God. And God in Christ through the Spirit is joined to us. We are inside of Him and He's inside of us. We occupy the same space together. Says Hebrews, that's a better covenant. This story is an amazing story, but we have a better covenant. Our very lives, physical, material, the minute details of life, they are all wrapped up in this God who loves us. We are partners in life with the Holy Trinity. What, what I hope this story does for you is that we don't try to make it happen, but boy, do we take it for granted. We walk out in life and our conversation and our thoughts are simple trust in love that is ahead of us and with us and behind us. Anticipation of his favor toward us in such small details. Could it get any smaller than this on your hands and knees, picking up heads of corn, barley for your sack? I mean, that's, that's getting down to details. And the Lord was with her. All the other women, I mean, they were covenant women too. But of course, they've been with this God for so many years since they were born. They, they don't even think about it anymore. They leave it to their own wits as to knowing which farmer it's going to be better to be with. They didn't see this as a spirit adventure. They saw it as a battle for who gets the best spot. Huh. And so while this newcomer is just bathing in the love and the favor and the blessing of God. The others are arguing among themselves and they're forgetting that God has any interest in what is happening. Interesting. All Ruth wanted was groceries. <laughs> That's it. She went out for groceries to come home with a pouch full of barley so that she and Naomi could eat. That was it. She had no idea that God's purposes were beyond, and I mean beyond anything that she could ever imagine. And so, certainly at this point in the story, all she does is delight in God love all she does is trust that love all she does is expect and anticipate that he silently invisibly at work all over Bethlehem to bring his promises to pass in my life and that of Naomi that was it she just enjoyed the moment not realizing that moment would actually lead to your salvation and mine. But that's another story. What, what I, I want to leave with you is there, there are some of you walking out to a new job and feel very much as Ruth did that May morning when she walked out. Um, I want you to realize... I want you to start trusting and anticipating this, this God. And those of you that are in a job, to sit back and get out of the rat race in, in, into the love current of God that flows 
stop trying to climb over people. It's not a rat race. It's a rest. It's a rest. He, de he deals with the details. In your home, in your neighborhood, just, just sit back, sink into the reality of his love and look out and recognize, anticipate the favor of God, the blessing in all your dealings and interactions. The Lord is with you and he blesses you and you are a chick under his wings. Father, we give you thanks. This is where we really do call you Father, Abba, Daddy, in these details of life. We thank you. That's the way you are. And you're still doing these amazing things in our life. And so we now declare across the world and into every home where we are being listened to, every car that listens in the podcast, we proclaim that God who is almighty love shall bless you and shall bless you in every minute detail of life and you shall be born upon the current of his love. And you shall glorify him in the smallest parts of life. So I bless you. And I declare that is the way it is.